would say it's definitely been kind of a relaxing week. Hmm. Well, not week. I would say that there was just, like, in San Francisco, there just seemed to be this, like, <sighs> yes. on inauguration day. The last few days have been good. <laughs> I know. You've been pretty stressed out about everything. Yeah, I felt happy the other day and didn't know what was happening. <laughs> like, it was bad. I was like, what's wrong with me? I feel manic. And you were like, I think you're happy. <laughs> well, the last few, the last few, every time we've talked, really, you've been very concerned about what's going on and what's happening with the world and what's mm-hmm. happening with just everything yeah and so when you were just saying how relaxed and at ease you were and you felt (laughs) so great I knew immediately like oh she's relieved she's not stressed (laughs) out that's called joy (laughs) yep yeah I would I would say there's definitely just a relaxing mindset across the city there's a few people who are pissed off um but you you know they're somewhere else definitely not no no because it's it's that thing that there's actually people who really wanted the inflatable cheeto to win Mm-hmm. oh yeah i live in a a very not very small but a a county, a blue county, surrounded by many, many red counties. Right, in, right smack dab in the middle of Oregon. And the only other r- blue county, I think, is Portland. Blue area, anyway. That's that's honestly kind of like California as well. That yeah, there's very, Portland very... and us. We're <laughs> and we keep the whole state blue. <laughs> that's because it goes by population and percentages it sure does not not many people want to live out in the wilderness on a homestead anymore at least not the ones who like have lived in cities for most of their life like mm, nope or at all i've been fortunate enough to live in all the kinds of places which is weird for a human. That's really cool, though. Like, that yeah. is really cool to live in rural and country and big city and smaller city and bigger suburb and sort of a suburb. Mm-hmm. And trees. <laughs> <laughs> I can say that I've lived in... Uh, technically, we're a hamlet. We're not big enough to be a village. And we're kind of too, way too small to be a town. Um, but uh, I've lived in a hamlet because that's where I grew up. I lived in the suburbs for a short amount of time in a small town. And I lived in the suburbs of Brooklyn. And I've lived in Brooklyn and I've lived in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. Oakland for a little bit. I, and, did, I did a count. And it mm-hmm. includes all the, like, all the houses or whatever that we lived in in those places so Mm -hmm. it's more than just cities or whatever but I think I've lived in 32 places in 35 years wow 
happens a lot, right? I because I remember uh, when we were at school, one at like the beginning of spring semester, you lived in Oregon, and then by the end of uh, or no, at the start of winter, you lived in Oregon, and at the end of spring semester, you suddenly lived in Las Vegas. Yes, and. That was fun because on the next semester we saw each other again, or like by the time that rolled around, you were back to living in Oregon. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean. Whole different place in Oregon. You've been exposed to a lot of cultures. True. And a lot of communities. Lived in the Seattle area, lived in Wisconsin, lived on the coast. You're downright worldly. <laughs> Without having left the country. I've never been to the South. I have not either. Or like the Northeast. I've been to Philadelphia, but... I think Philly's the Northeast. Yeah. You don't sound convinced of that. <laughs> I mean, like, I don't know. Maine or something. Uh, I think it's pronounced South Canada. <laughs> South Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I haven't either. I, I have to admit, I've been to Hawaii, California, and New York. That's it. Oh, okay. But this, oh, not this year, last year, I guess, I actually wanted to do, like, a haunted house road trip tour thing of the U.S. That sounds like a lot, depending well, on how haunted you're talking. <laughs> well, originally, I was thinking, like, oh, it could be fun to um, do some history bounding in, in Tombstone, right? Mm-hmm. But... Then the history of bounding was also, oh, and we can look for ghosts while we're there. <laughs> and then I was thinking, oh, well, it also would have been really cool to go to New Orleans and, like, check out the cool yes. shit there, specifically ghosts. <laughs> and it just kept turning, oh, well, as long as we're on the East Coast, we can head to the Lizzie Borden house. Oh, and God. It just turned into a haunted house road trip that I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, my grandpa went to Scotland and I was like, did you go to this place and this place and this place? And he was like, what? And I was like, the haunted places. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the whole place is haunted, but these specific places. And he was like, no, you should have sent me an email before I went. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, because I can say like, if, if. We took a family vacation, my parents, my grandparents, myself. I would say out of the five of us, only three of us would want to go to a museum. <laughs> and one of those museum goers would just sit at the entrance watching people. <laughs> yeah. Um, welcome to our podcast. <laughs> My name is uh, Taja. And I'm Danielle. And you're listening to Anne. Then they fucked. We're, we're recording a little later in the evening than usual in that it's evening and not morning. <laughs> um, 
I do want to do a little bit of a corrections corner um, because I looked up when aspirin was invented and apparently your book is a Regency romance novel. Okay. Not Victorian. And aspirin was not branded until the late 1890s. So they would not have had aspirin when, what's her name, Lydia? Who's the one that was dying? Lily. Okay. So yeah, Lily would not have been able to take aspirin. However, doctors had already been boiling down willow bark to make an extract that could be sold to the masses. Okay. There was no need for willow bark tea because (laughs) there would have been like a tincture that had been concentrated down. Um, anyway. Okay. Oh, that was a that was a thing I discovered. Nice. I also had another one I wanted to tell you, but I totally forgot it. Um, anyway, if you're new to the podcast, uh, we read horrible romance novels. Um, or at least really cheesy looking ones. Yes. We try. <laughs> I mean... We, we definitely get through the books. That is true. We get through the books. Yes. Um, sometimes, usually with our sanity intact, uh, every so often, somebody gets a real book. That's what I meant by we try. But by that same note, Danny has a much higher tolerance for bad writing than I do. I do. <laughs> I, I just, I, there's so many little things that just bother me about the way something flows. I think I've read two real books in the last five years because I couldn't concentrate, but I could totally read fan fiction for some reason. So that's all I've read. I think it's because it's comforting. Possibly. The last few years, we don't want new things because every time there's a new thing, it's horrible. <laughs> and so... Books are scary right now, because what if it's also horrible? <laughs> and and you just you just can't take the stress and the pain and the there's mental There's so much anger. other stress going on. Right? There's so much there's so much going on, so you don't need a new book. Um but you know, bad fan fiction, you know what's gonna happen and you know it's never gonna have a real ending because the author will get bored. Yeah. There's there's no risk of emotional stress. So my my bar has been lowered. Tolerate bad writing easier. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um so I'm technically doing dry January. Um but I had an edible. <laughs> you didn't tell me we were doing edibles. I would have done an edible instead. <laughs> well, next episode we'll just do that. Okay. But, you know, I, I went a little too hard this holiday season with uh, eating and drinking, especially drinking. So I'm doing dry January. Um, mm. I might have a little bit of a drink on my birthday, but I'm just, you know, I'm not feeling it. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Bad romance novels. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason we're here. <laughs> Um, so you did go last time. You went first last time. So as per tradition, I'm going to go first this time. Okay. Um, The book I read made me very angry. 
Hmm. Um, it's it's not bad, but there's things in there that just like annoyed me so much. It's called Vampire Mage by Janelle Peel, and the the cover was kind of dumb. I'm not gonna lie, uh, or not dumb, just like very uh, classic romance adventure. <laughs> but uh, we start out with this girl named Sora, and we find out that she was kicked out of her family, totally disowned, because she didn't have magic. Okay. Like, that's that's kind of what the Malfoys would do to a squib. But, like, yeah. almost every other thing I've, you know, read that has modern setting at all, like, they just set them up in an apartment somewhere. <laughs> family. I mean, fuck. Also, waiting to... Anyway... Um, she's from Seattle, uh, and at some point she made her way down to San Diego, which is the setting of our story. Um, but what did get to me first was that while she's in this dive bar, she gets bottom shelf tequila and chases it with Pepsi. Oh, yeah. Gross. That was exactly my reaction. Like, who does that? You can only afford bottom shelf you don't get tequila. Well, also, like, chasing... Don't chase, chase it with Pepsi. Right! Oh! It, it was just awful. And, like, I'm just thinking, like, even the trashiest people I know have better standards than that. Ugh. Like, tequila and Pepsi. So, first of all, I was disgusted right out the bat. I don't even know that much about this book, but I'm already disgusted. Yeah. Um, But at some point, we find out... She was taken in by this lady named Giselle, uh, whose husband and daughter had died earlier that year, which also that attachment sounds super toxic right away. Um, but that uh, she was taken by this lady named, named Giselle. She basically just watches Netflix, shops at thrift stores, uh, and that she has a, one of those old Nokia brick phones. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very woe is her. She's very sad and like I'm all alone. And oh, make she, a mostly, she I don't know why, but she says that she doesn't feel comfortable with friends because it makes her feel like an imposter. That's weird. It's so weird. So get a therapist and then work up to a friend. I for I, she doesn't have any money. Hmm. But I don't know. I assume she works at a diner. It's not very clear, like, at all. But, like, she she finishes her gross shit and she leaves at 2 a.m. And she's complaining because it's so cold. It's 55 degrees. I'm like, it's, <laughs> it's... It's the normal temperature in San Francisco every fucking day. It's not that cold. Yeah. But as she's leaving the bar, she, like, gets knocked out. And she wakes up to these two, like, dudes trying to rob her. But she doesn't have anything worth stealing. So she's like, well, fuck, they're gonna get pissed about that. Um, but, like, at that same time, I was hella worried because I watch way too many true crime shows and investigation shows. Yeah. And so I'm just, like, imagining Hotch standing over her. <laughs> <laughs> like, ah. Uh. She's she's a statistic. Um, <laughs> but, like, 
something like some weird chill happens so she the boys run off so she goes home showers and like passes out until 4 p.m because Giselle is uh texting her about are you coming to dinner coming to dinner tonight I really miss you can you come to dinner tonight like I uh, it was very odd but like as she's wandering around her apartment she suddenly discovers that she went from a size four to a size two and now she has a C cup and now she's platinum blonde and she's super fit. What does that have to do with anything? Uh, well, see, she also, <laughs> she also notices that she has, um, we know this to be a vampire bite, but she thinks, oh, it must be a bug bite. Oh. Yeah. So apparently in this universe, if you get bitten by a vampire, you shrink down to a size two, you get boobs, and you're a platinum blonde. Huh. Yeah. That doesn't sound very fit. It sounds like you could be knocked over real easy. It also sounds... I Personally, that is not what I would think of when I thought of some vampire virus idealizing the host. Yeah. Anyway, um... We find out that she's just so pretty because she goes to Starbucks and she gets her drink for free and she's like, doesn't understand why. And she just goes through her whole fucking day like pretty girl hypnotizing people. Okay. Um, so that was annoying as well because that's, that's just annoying. But she goes home and passes out after her long day of being hung over at 4 p.m. <laughs> um, but she like wakes up because there's something tapping at her door. And I specifically mentioned that part because I was watching The Curious Murder of Edgar Allan Poe while I was reading this. <laughs> so I was like gently rapping, tapping on her chamber door. <laughs> um, anyway, she grabs up a bat and the two dudes on the other side of the door use magic to unlock the door and just walk in. That's disconcerting. It's very bad. And they, she realizes that they're also hypnotized by her pretty girl vampire magic. And she like, there's just a weird calm conversation. And she asks them way too many fucking questions before she finally asks, what are you doing here? <laughs> and they're like oh well blaze sent us to find you he's the master of the cov uh the socal vampire clutch but she like doesn't do anything she just orders them to forget about her and leave <laughs> with her pretty girl vampire magic sure but then she wakes up at 4 30 p.m again Again, being texted by Giselle asking, are you coming to dinner tonight? Because I have no family and I clung to you in a toxic way. <laughs> um, which is unfair because grief is very strange. But now when she wakes up, her hair is silver. Okay. So she's looking like Sashomaru over here. <laughs> but she goes to have dinner with Giselle. And the author kind of throws in the towel and just says, oh, she looks like Diane Keaton. Huh. Yeah. Um, but, like, there's a whole thing where she's like, 
I usually don't eat meat, but the steaks that were being made were so good. Um, and then she goes to the beach for some reason. And then she goes to an ice cream shop. Like, the, the things that happen in this book just hop around so quickly without any flow or rhyme or reason. So I was I was a little frustrated. Like a puppy is writing it. Or five girls in a room all throwing in their ideas. <laughs> that makes more sense. Um, but she goes to an ice cream shop and we meet another character named Viv who has a bright pink pixie cut and chucks and is very punk 90s rebel girl um she comes in later uh but that's not important no one cares about frozen yogurt (laughs) maybe a little but like she orders chocolate frozen yogurt which just sounds disgusting it's it's odd it's like tangy you have to be in the mood for it. If I'm going to get... No, if I'm going to get ice cream, I'm going to get chocolate coconut milk ice cream. Mm. Double down on the fat and the sugar. Leave my ice cream alone. <laughs> but she's just like sitting there eating ice cream while her friend closes up the ice cream shop. And uh, that's not important either. Sorry, like I took notes writing what was happening as I thought about it. And as I'm reading through them, there's just so much that happens in this dumb book that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. It's just, why is it there? Um, anyway, when she gets home, there's another person in her apartment, but he's hot. <laughs> and because he's so hot, she, like, doesn't get as pissed off. <laughs> like, she doesn't, like, try to get her baseball bat and chase him out. Like, she doesn't try to fight him off. Um, but miraculously, she's able to summon her magic. Huh. But then they don't fight. She just stands there with, like, fire hands. And he's like, oh, yeah, I'm the guy who uh, sent the other dudes to come get you. My name's Blaze. I'm in charge of the SoCal Vampire Clutch. Huh. Um, but instead of kicking him out, she, like, puts her magic away somehow and starts thinking about how hot he is (laughs) sure (laughs) and he's like so the guys i sent after you when they came back they said that they didn't know what the fuck i was talking about (laughs) what did you do she's like uh i don't know and that's it he's like oh well okay then (laughs) (laughs) it's it's so fucking weird (laughs) great Great detective skills, bro. I just, I just, I just don't understand. <laughs> but yeah, he's like, oh, okay. Well, here's my phone number, because if you're a vampire and a mage, people are gonna try and hunt you down. Hmm. And for like three paragraphs that are super fucking short. It just switches over to him and how he's so enamored and her hair is like liquid silver and he just wants to rub his face in it. (laughs) And it's just dumb. But then we're back over to her and she's just like playing with her magic and being dumb. And she's like, maybe I can do a projection spell. And she does it without trying, which was, bitch, you, what? You have to practice. 
Um, but then she passes out on the couch again, and she doesn't sleep until four this time. But she goes to work at a yes at a diner, and two of the regulars have suddenly noticed that she's a mage and a vampire, and they start hitting on her. And guess what they do? Try to hunt her down. They break into her apartment. <laughs> she needs a better apartment. I, I know. Or like, I, I just don't know. Like, dude, I don't know. Call your parents. Say, hey, I have magic now. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. But Or rent a room with some girls who have a place with a doorman. Right? Find a better <laughs> place. I don't know. I just, I, you're 22. You are not that picky about your housing situation. No. Also, that's a really unhealthy attachment you got with that lady. Like, you need, you need to save to move. Mm-hmm. It's very, it's very strange. Um, but the dudes who broke in, we find out one of them is a shifter, not a werewolf. He's a shifter. Um... And he tries to come in, but the weird, like, protecting magic spell she put on the door when she passed out uh, blasts him across the apartment building lawn. <laughs> and lawn. I, I think later, as I read, she actually lives in, like, the add-on garage apartment at Giselle's house. Oh. Yeah. It's very weird. Like, I don't know why it was called an apartment. Um, but it, like, smacks him across the lawn, and Blaze is just, like, chilling in the shadows watching the whole fucking thing. <laughs> he he kind of didn't really leave after the night before. He it's just, like... creepy and funny. It, yeah, there were so many, so many bizarre fucking things that happened. Like, I think this would make a good TV series. <laughs> Like, thinking about it, this would make a good TV series. Because just enough weird little shit happens that you could drag that out for a couple seasons. <laughs> um, but he's he's just laughing and being creepy. And she decides to make a fucking pot of coffee. Okay. At, like, night. At, like, six o'clock at night. Oh, my parents drink coffee till they go to bed. I don't understand. I I drink one coffee too late in the day, and I'm up all night. Like, I can't sleep. Oh, I can't have caffeine past 7 p.m., or I'm up till 4. You can drink it till 7 p.m.? Mm-hmm. No, if I drink it after 3 p.m., I'm just, I'm up all night. But 7.01, and I'm fucked. <laughs> well, I, I think you, yeah, that, that seems like a problem. Um... But, like, she calls him, and he, like, answers his phone on the other side of her apartment door. Uh-huh. And she doesn't even freak, because she realizes that he's been watching her the whole time, but she doesn't yell at him. <laughs> or anything. They just, like, banter, and she's like, I didn't have magic until I met you. And he... He gets it out of her that the reason the werewolf showed up is because he says he wanted a favor from her. So hmm. he just, like, kidnaps her and takes her to his San Diego mansion. Okay. He's like, oh, we gotta go now. And just, like, takes her to his place. Doesn't explain why at all. And she just goes. 
Yeah. And the bitch passes out again. Oh my god. Um, basically, he's like, you have to abandon your whole life and just live with us for, so let's just live with me for a while. <laughs> okay. Apparently the shifters aren't going to give up on getting a favor from her. Mm-hmm. And if she stays, then she's going to put Diane Keaton in danger. Sure. So she's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Doesn't fuss, doesn't question it. She just believes, oh yeah, yes, Diane Keaton's in danger. Um, but his here's a part that started to annoy me. So his place is supposed to be super fancy, multi-billionaire dollar bachelor pad, black and silver dude style, right? Okay. He has travertine flooring everywhere. What is that? You know the big tiles at Mexican restaurants? (laughs) Uh Yeah. It's... That's a whole different style of house. Yeah. And, like, not the brick. Like, the the weird stone flooring. Yeah. Yeah. There's just travertine flooring all over this multi-billion dollar fucking home. That's... Odd... So I just, I couldn't take it seriously. <laughs> I couldn't take it seriously. Has the other never seen the Italian job? Like, I just, uh, did you watch The Last Witch Hunter? No. It's, it's a Vin Diesel movie. You might like it. It's actually pretty cool. But like, it was just a very sleek black marble, very pretty apartment. Because he's been alive for fucking centuries. He wants a nice apartment. Hmm. But like... No, the flooring just bothered me. I started, I, I like laughed every time I saw that from that point on. <laughs> but when she wakes up, because she can't stay awake to save her goddamn life, mm-hmm. um, he, his butler came to get her because he went to sleep for the day. And he shows her around the house and she's like, yeah, okay, library, cool. And ignores everything else from that point forward. <laughs> And so she's just, like, reading up on magic in the library all fucking day until um, we find out that Blaze didn't tell the other vampires to stay the fuck away from his side of the house. And so his brother tries to eat her. (laughs) But her pretty girl vampire hypnosis makes him stop. Okay. Yeah. So his name is Jackson and... That's basically all she asks him, and then she just sends him away. <laughs> like, the the pretty girl hypnosis is very annoying and weird. And like I was saying, like, it feels like five girls on a couch tried to write one cohesive story. <laughs> because it just hops around so much. But uh, Blaze shows up, and I kept wanting to call him Brick the whole time. <laughs> And he's not pissed off that she used her pretty girl hypnosis on his vampires. He's upset that she didn't tell him about it. Okay. He's like, you didn't tell me you were pretty girl hypnotic. Like, that's it. And he's like, I'm not that upset. I forgive you. For surviving? I don't know. For not telling him? Did he ask what all of her powers were? No. Also, what the fuck? He fucking kidnapped her, basically. Sure did. This girl has, like, no survival sense. 
anyway, um, we find out because I guess Blaze Brick had someone look into it or something. I don't know how he got this information in like one fucking day. Uh, but we find out that Sora was turned into a vampire in utero because her parents threw down with this, uh, they like fought the old master vampire for Seattle while Sora's mom was pregnant. And because her mom got bitten, the vampire virus latched onto Sora instead. Oh, now, if you're thinking, like, virus, like, lab coats and shit, no. Not like that. Not that cool. Not that cool. But apparently, when Blaze did bite her after her tequila and Pepsi, <laughs> because that's why she passed out outside the bar. He uh. bit her. And it instead of, like, just leaving her fine or passed out, um, it jump-started the vampire virus that was dormant in her blood. Oh. And as a result of the vampire virus taking over, her magic was able to bloom as well. Huh. Yeah. And also, she's not pissed off that he tried to eat her. That's weird. She's, she's pissed off that he left her out in the open to get robbed. That, too. Um, Both things are not good. <laughs> I'm just rude. Right? I just but you see why like why are you why are you forgiving her for something? For the same reason that she's not pissed at him. Like Yeah. It's convenient. Um but she sets his house on fire. <laughs> because she's so pissed off that her magic flares up and he like, hey, hey, wake up, wake up. And he has to kiss her to snap her out of her magical arson. Weird. But her, but the house is fine. The house is fine. And he's not angry at her because he knows that she's going to be hunted down and she's going to be used for her power and he's going to keep her safe no matter what. This is so culty. Why is he keeping her safe? Well... We find out that it's, um, at some point we find out that it's because he, she's his true mate. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. But she doesn't have the survival skills to say, no, thank you. I think I would like to go see my parents. <laughs> or like, this is, this is very weird. Like, handsome dude starts saving you from shit you don't know really exists. <laughs> yeah. Forgiving you for totally natural things. Like, <laughs> this is so weird. But eventually they go to practice her magic in the courtyard. We find out that she's the avatar because she can control all four elements <laughs> and she can call storms huh. and she has pretty girl hypnotism. <laughs> um, but she goes to bed. Because it's tired. Work, working with magic makes tired. Uh-huh. Um, and Blaze goes to his study for a drink. And that other vampire who tried to eat her earlier, Jackson, he, he's important to remember. We have to remember. Oh, God. I hate that part. It's so bad. 
um, Jackson is there, and that's where Blaze says, Sora is my late, my mate. And for the next two pages, he just says everything that we've already read since the book started. Okay. So literally everything I just said to you, he says in two pages. You could have um, just read that. <laughs> right? Well, I'm impressed with myself that it only took me a page and a half to say all that, Blaze. Why'd it take you two? <laughs> um, but Jackson's like, uh, I don't envy you, bro. I will leave her alone because you're dealing with so much and I'm lazy as fuck. And I don't want to deal with that. <laughs> so his, his brother's very much like, hmm, sucks to be you. <laughs> that sounds like a brother. Right? But later, Sora decides she wants to dress all pretty for Blaze, and she just can't figure out why. Um, <laughs> and she goes over to his room and just drools over what a handsome fella he is. Well, he's in there? Yeah. Yeah. But then she, like, asks him, she's like, hey, do you want to join me for dinner? But instead, it's, would you like to eat me? <laughs> so that was a little bit funny. Like, I... I would not say that's a bad line um but she's just mortified but i don't think the author knows that word because it never appeared a single time in the entire book <laughs> but like she's scared and she reveals a new vampire superpower which is super speed <laughs> but then she's not hungry and he gets fussy and annoyed and upset which is abuser tactics that's not fucking cool mm -hmm. and he goes out to mope in the courtyard and she just, you know, drinks a bottle of water. And I don't I don't know why she had like a bottle of water, like instead of a glass or a hydro flask, something. Like I would assume that immortal vampires were more cautious about the environment. Maybe that way we know it's sealed. I I don't think that part was important. Uh, okay. I don't know. Just that she was drinking a bottle of water. Very weird. Yeah, you would think they would be more eco-friendly. Right, exactly. Like, where's your clean canteen? Also, the butler brought it to you. Like, why didn't he put it in a glass? It's very weird. Oh, that is weird. Yeah. His author doesn't watch enough TV and movies. I honestly, I, there were so many things in here that I was like, this is a cult. This is a cult. Mm-hmm. You're in a cult. Call your dad. <laughs> but then... Jackson, like, shows up to report about uh, shifters prowling around the facility. Mm -hmm. And Sora, like, eep! And hides behind Blaze, even though she's already pretty girl hypnotized this dude into not wanting to eat her. And because she's scared, Blaze starts to growl. And luckily, Jackson and Sora are both like, I don't know what the fuck's happening. Um... <laughs> So neither of them knows what's going on. We don't know what's going on. Nobody knows what's going on. But she puts her hand on Blaze's chest and he starts to fucking purr. <laughs> and Jackson is just like, um, I'm going to text you when you want that report. And he bails. <laughs> yeah. Because he doesn't want to deal with the fact that his brother is all like super horny for this new chick who's already been hella weird to him. Yeah. Um, but then he, like, takes her inside back to his room, and she's like, oh, are we gonna have the talk? Ha ha ha. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and we finally get some fucking vampire lore. 
about what vampires are. And we're like almost halfway through the book, which wasn't saying much because it was only 160 pages. Oh my God. It's 160 pages. All of this shit has already happened. I think at this point we're actually on page like 72. That's a lot. It's so much. Oh, it, I, uh, and like, I don't know. I'd like, if you'd waited 68 pages to say all this shit, that's right. I was on page 68 in like a 300 page book. That would make sense. Mm-hmm. But 68 pages into a book that's only 160. It's awful. Yeah. But like, also this girl's been living with him for like a few days by the time this happens. Yeah. Wouldn't you want answers right away? Yes. <laughs> or, or like before you got in the car. At any fucking point when all of these people are breaking into your house. How about the first time? Before you let him in the apartment. Right? Like, I, I, <laughs> any point in time. Anyway, um, she's like, how do you feed? And he like smiles at her and he like flashes his fang. And she reaches over and starts poking his teeth. <laughs> like... You might as, like, that's like someone just reaching up and just sticking their hand into your mouth. Yeah. Like, that's what babies do. <laughs> like, see what you're eating. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not something grown women or 22-year-old women do to weird vampires who've kidnapped them and are telling them reality is wrong. Yeah. But she cuts her finger open, which is what you get for being gross. <laughs> Putting your hands in people's mouths and shit. Ew. And she just lets him lick the blood off her finger. Ew. Well, he, they're vampires, remember? So it's super sexy. Oh. And she's so turned on by it that they just start making out. <laughs> and she bites him and starts to feed. And it's so hot that she just orgasms and... He throws them into the pool to make her stop, and then she pukes up pink goo. Ew. In the pool. Gross. And there's this moment where he's like, hey, it's okay, you're a newborn. And then they, like, play all splashy splashy in the pink throw-up pool. No. Yeah! They're just splashing each other with puke water. That's disgusting. It is. But he takes her to her room. He's like, you should shower and text me when you're done. Which, good, they just played in the puke puke pool. Yeah. Ugh. That now has to be drained, or whatever. That poor fucking butler. Yeah. Um, but he goes to his room and jerks off in the shower thinking about what just happened. <laughs> Which, if being puked on is cool for you, please see a therapist. <laughs> but he texts his brother Jackson... To get the patrol report, and they they go back and forth about lichens and not lichens, shifters, and how Blaze doesn't want to mark Sora as his mate before she's ready, brainwashed. So they decide to keep all the male vampires out of that wing of the house until he does mark her. Isolation. Cult. Uh huh. <laughs> Cult. And, um,. There's, like, this weird moment where Jackson is super, like, depressed because he hasn't found his mate. Mm -hmm. And Blaze is like, it's okay. We'll find her together as a family. Because apparently, after a thousand years, vampires go crazy if they don't have a mate. Oh. Yeah. And Jackson is 999 years old. Of course he is. Yeah. Um, and we'll get to that later. 
Um, anyway, Blaze goes to talk to Sora about more vampire stuff, and he takes her to meet the only other vampires in, only other female vampires in the clutch. There's only two, because women don't usually survive being turned into vampires. Oh. Yeah. And these, these two made me giggle, because one is described as having Irish skin. Like, so she was pasty white? What, what does that mean? <laughs> I, I assume it. I assume any other adjectives might have made her sound too pretty hmm. because like, how, how would you describe Irish skin? Super fucking white. Yeah. Um, which I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a couple weird things like that that just happened. Um, but they're both wearing corsets, which yeah. Okay. Fine. But I'd get bored of wearing corsets for centuries, but yeah, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, well, <sighs> Their names are Allie and Sasha, which those names are okay. But this brought up the point: who was naming their kids Jackson and Blaze a thousand years ago? Or Allie and Sasha back when corsets were in fashion? Uh, Sasha is sort of Russian. I can see that. Oh, okay. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. The names just bothered me. Um, but they have like a whole girl talk sleep overnight as they assure her how safe it is in the cult and how their uh, cult leader really loves her. I'm sorry, it's just a cult at this point. <laughs> but at the time, I thought it was kind of cute <laughs> because now she has friends. <laughs> but they get her, like, super drunk. And oh. around 4 a.m., she texts him a winky face. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I've done worse things. <laughs> um, but she invites him to her room, which we find out is actually his room, but she just kind of took it over and he was like, okay. <laughs> and apparently the girl vampires, Sasha and Allie, straight up told her, like, you know you guys are mates, right? <laughs> and so, um, I forgot her fucking name. Sora asks him if they are mates. And he's like, yeah. <laughs> and that's it. So she asks him to stay the night just to sleep, but she sleeps in her fucking bra. <laughs> I can't do that. That that's pokey. Yeah, that's pokey. Like she'll she takes off her t-shirt and she takes off her jeans, but she sleeps in her bra. Huh. I, yeah, I don't get it. Um, but then she wakes up at some point and starts playing with her magic, and she finds out that he hasn't been able to feed since the night he bit her. A, only a week ago because the thought of feeding from someone else is so disgusting that he just can't okay like someone other than her so she offers up her wrist and he um starts feeding and he offers his wrist too so that she can feed and they're making out again because apparently that's super fucking erotic which seems messy yeah they're interrupted because her phone goes off and the pink-haired ice cream shop girl was attacked and bitten by a werewolf. Now, mind you, this is a little over halfway and this is the point where it starts being two romance novels in one. Okay. There's only 160 pages. The last, I'd say, 70 of them are these two romance novels at the same time. <laughs> that seems ambitious. There's... <laughs> Like I said, you could have two seasons of a TV show from this one book. <laughs> There's so much going on. Um, but 
and this is another thing, but her ice cream shop friend was attacked and bitten by a werewolf, but the author calls it a, calls it a frozen treats shop. Okay. It's like not a, 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 not an ice cream parlor, not a fro-yo, a frozen treats shop. You know, I roomed with a girl at AAU who didn't, had never used a uh, dishwasher and didn't know what it was called. She called it the dish machine. Are you saying the author's never been to an ice cream shop? Maybe she doesn't know what things are called. <laughs> you have the internet. Look it up. <laughs> I like the idea more that she's never been to an ice cream shop. <laughs> she's only heard of them. <laughs> well, you can't get frozen yogurt at an ice cream shop. It's not ice cream. Yeah. <laughs> um, ugh. Focusing. <laughs> anyway, everyone like ponies up to go to the hospital where Ice Cream Viv, her name is Viv, is so that they can turn her into a vampire so that the vampire venom counteracts the werewolf venom. Okay. And at this point, I felt like I was watching an episode of SWAT or NCIS <laughs> because it all went very Black Ops Strike Team tom clancy's ghost recon like (laughs) and they're getting ready to jump to the hospital roof from the abandoned hotel next to it sure when mel the werewolf shows up the guy she zapped at the beginning which i thought he was australian but apparently maybe he is and attacks sora and she tries to fight back but she trips and falls to the roof of the hospital lol (laughs) um which at at that point when mel attacked sora blaze and jackson had already jumped to the hospital roof but i don't get how they couldn't tell that they were there yeah like it was very weird but i i did laugh that she fell off the roof of a building (laughs) i just i really disliked her so much at this point so, so I was really happy to hear that she got mauled by a werewolf and fell off the roof of a building. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I feel like I spent 12 years in Azkaban reading this book, okay? <laughs> anyway, they kidnap Ice Cream Viv from the hospital, who's fucking been mauled by a werewolf. She needs to keep being in the hospital. Yeah. And they get back to the house and Blaze makes Sora feed from his blood so that she can get her magic to burn out the werewolf venom. And then she uses that to heal Ice Cream Viv from the like really fucked up life-threatening wounds. Okay. Um, and she heals her up so that she can make a choice about trying to become a vampire or letting herself turn into a werewolf. <clears throat> because I guess just healing her of the werewolf venom, no, nah, let's not do that. Let's make her choose. Let's make her join the cult. <laughs> Either you're going to be enslaved by that cult or you're going to be enslaved by our cult. You, that's your only choice. <laughs> um, But either way, Jackson is just like staring at her with a super spectacular duh face. Which, if you don't know, your duh face is that face you make at someone when they're, you're a little too buzzed, and they're trying to tell you something really complicated, Uh and you're trying so hard to focus. That's your duh face. (laughs) 
that's beautiful. Like you're you're trying, but everyone can tell it's it's not clicking. Or even going in. But Jackson volunteers to turn her into a vampire because she's his mystical mate, Colt Bride. Surprisingly, it takes so, because we wouldn't name a random female character if she was just going to die during the vampire transformation process. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she survives, and now she's bloodlust Viv instead of ice cream Viv. <laughs> for the next few chapters, that's really all they're dealing with is trying to keep Viv from just biting everybody. <laughs> um, for the most part, Sora just like uses her pretty girl hypnotism on her while Jackson is sitting on her <laughs> to make her stop attacking people. <laughs> and then she turns into juice box Viv because she's just got ba- uh, blood bags wherever she goes. <laughs> Wherever she goes, she's just sipping on a blood bag like, yo, what's up? You like my big wheel? (laughs) (laughs) And Jackson is just kind of, he doesn't have her on a leash, but he's definitely like keeping her from feeding on the servants and shit. (laughs) Like, nope, drink a juice pouch. (laughs) (laughs) So like there were, there were parts that like looking back now as I'm high, yes, it was funny. While I was reading it, I was just like, there's so much going on, and it's only been four pages. Oh, no. But now you're like, here, have another Capri Sun. Like, that whole thing of her turning into a vampire, and the next, like, whole paragraph of my notes could have been two episodes. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. But um, at some point while they're doing that, Sora and Blaze have to go restore the protective wards around the property because their witch is out of town. <laughs> okay. And they're like, You're, you have zero fucking training as a mage and brand new powers. Restore the protection ward around the house. <laughs> um, which, it's a square. Like, the protective ward is a square. Uh-huh. And that bothered me. Because geometrically, the strongest shape is a circle. (laughs) Or like a bubble. But like, squares are weak as fuck. (laughs) It's one of those things that they like cover in the classes that like, you tested into the gifted classes, your IQ's hella high, have your anxiety now. (laughs) And we learned about uh, geometrically a bubble is stronger than a box. Oh, okay. Anyway, (laughs) it loops around, but circles are stronger than squares. (laughs) Um, It's not the end of the book, though, even though that seems like a good place to cut off and be like, yeah, her friend's a vampire now, and we can have a friggin' sequel about her becoming, you know, maiden, you know, nope, nope, that's not the end of the book. They have (laughs) to have a ball. Oh, God, why? To celebrate that... Viv and Sora are in the cult now, and he wants to show everyone that, oh, I skipped the part where they fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. Um, no, there it is. It was after the circles and squares. Oh, okay. I was so distracted by circles and squares. Um, anyway... 
While they're doing that, restoring the barrier, it finally comes to a head that Sora and Blaze haven't properly mated. And that's why Sora hasn't met any other vampires. Okay. And Blaze is like, I was waiting until you'd been isolated from everyone long enough to make the choice. (laughs) Make the choice for yourself about becoming my cult bride. Uh She's like, oh, yeah, okay, cool, let's do that. Like, that's it. She doesn't even really, like, she reacted to it the way you would react to, well, if we order from uh, Popeye's, we get $5 off. But if we order from KFC, it's free delivery. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Well, how much is delivery? <laughs> right. Like, she reacted in that way. It's like, yeah, okay. And then they fuck. <laughs> so... Yeah, that's basically it. We have Bloodbag, Juicebox Viv, running around pouncing on the servants. <laughs> and we have them making a stupid square-shaped barrier. And Blaze asks her to marry him and be his vampire cult bride. She's like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then they fuck out in the dirt. Gross. I think. I don't know. I skipped it. I was bored. <laughs> it, was, it wasn't a good, it wasn't a good sex scene either. Mm. that's not even the end of the book it isn't them finally being mates and jackson having to deal with uh juice box viv no they have a ball (laughs) and the ball has more description than literally any other part of the book that's the part the author liked yeah there's like (laughs) i'd say a good four pages just describing the ball wow we got a sentence describing the apartment that got broken into three times. <laughs> we got left description at Diane Keaton's house. <laughs> but the ball gets like four pages. <laughs> Viv and Sora swear fealty to the clutch and the cult and the cult leader. And Sora does like a light show. <laughs> Showing off how powerful she is. Sure. And then she and Blaze leave to go fuck. Uh-huh. And at some point, like, in between them leaving to go fuck, Viv is feeling, like, super uncomfortable because everyone's talking about werewolves and she's having what is implied to be flashbacks of being mauled. Um, so Jackson takes her to train with swords in hand-to-hand combat. Um, and that I skipped a lot of it because it was so much of Blaze and Sora and he's forgiving her for things that are normal as she continues to be brainwashed into the cult. Yeah. And Jackson trains Viv to be like a professional fighter. That's awesome. (laughs) And it's this thing back and forth of Jackson and Viv just going back and forth and I like him, I like her, I know we're mates, we should mate, I know we're mates, we're not going to because I need a sequel for this fucking book, even though we got half of their love story in this one. (laughs) There was so much going on in this book. And then at page 150, the barrier is attacked by some mage bitch who used to be Sora's friend, who heckles her for having no magic and then says something about finding the rogue coven because there's no way Sora could have made the magic. Like, she just shows up out of nowhere. Just to be right. And attacks them. Like, she's looking for a a secret witch coven. So she goes to attack the vampires. (laughs) 
I don't understand. That sounds like attacking a whole other group of people that you didn't have to involve. Yeah. And so the reason she thinks Sora couldn't have done it is because no one could have raised such a barrier around a multi-billion dollar home with diner flooring. Or set an empty building, like, or she couldn't have set an empty building on fire either. Uh huh. But he, she promises to return, like a supervillain, <laughs> to bother some people who have nothing to do with witches. <laughs> and that's it. That's the book. Oh my god. Yeah, it was 158 pages, but it was a surprisingly long read. Can we just get the Jackson and Viv parts? Can If we get those as a separate book. Yes. Like, this needed to be two different books. Yes. And it needed to be twice as long. <laughs> like, there's just so much going on. Um, I will say that right off the bat, I wasn't a fan of the writing. <laughs> Specifically, it was the writing style, because it was told more like a diary. It wasn't, um... Sora put on her jeans. It was, I put on my favorite jeans. Oh, God. So it was first person? Yeah. Ugh. It was all first person. Who writes in first person? This person for four different people. Ugh. Um, but who writes in first person and doesn't describe the setting? <laughs> <laughs> are you that? Are, is Like, we already know that Sora is unobservant as fuck. Mm-hmm. Are, are you? I just, I don't. Anyway, it was all first person, so that threw me off right away. Yeah. Um, and like, I, that's that's not saying that I don't listen when people tell me what happened to them. Yeah, that's a story. Right? Like, if you're telling a story, you don't tell it in the third person. But if you are writing a story, <laughs> unless it's a memoir or a biography, which... I guess this was supposed to be? I don't know. Another thing was I didn't need to know the dress size of the main character. No. That was weird. You could have said slender. You could have said svelte. There's a number of words. I don't need to know that you're a size two. I didn't need to know that the author was judging a whole group of people for being more than a size four. Right? You're shaming people for being a size four at that point. Mm-hmm. Um... But it, it definitely, like, limited what I could picture in my head for this main character. I had, um, I'm going to be honest, I had Princess Bubblegum. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's because Princess Bubblegum is just so, well, that's how it goes. <laughs> it might be. At some point she became Princess Bubblegum. I was like, okay. <laughs> See, now I'm thinking that Juicebox Viv is Marceline. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that was another thing that annoyed me. Also, I think it, it came to me while I was reading this, um, that I w heard it while I was listening to Dominic Noble on YouTube, and it pointed out that there's a, a sort of subconscious cultural alignment with vampires being very wealthy and werewolves being poor. Yes. And how werewolves are the working man's monster, they're called. And, like, all over, it, it it's sort of like a class war. Hmm. Like, people want to be a violent because they're beautiful and rich. Huh. And so it's, it's just this thing of, like, werewolves are supposed to be poor people. And so it kind of um, dehumanizes the poor. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. It was just very interesting. And it, it definitely was super applied to this book um, because it just kind of 
followed and reaffirmed that werewolves are are trailer trash basically great yeah um and like the second half of the book was just hopping between viv and jackson and sora and blaze and it 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 was it could have been a whole other book Mm -hmm. or like tell us less like imply that it's happening don't like tell us it's happening um yeah that that was my book okay it ended with a super villain promising to get you my pretties like so much happened and it was only 158 pages that's a very small book it was such a small book and it needed to be so much longer and it also needed to be so much shorter (laughs) like you're telling me two different books and i have no idea what anything looks like except that the house is black and silver with tavertine flooring that's how it's spelled google that huh right it doesn't look great. No. <laughs> Tavertine flooring does not look good. But like, you get what I mean when I was saying like, it, it looks like an outdoor dining patio. Yes. Like, that's that's what it looks like. <laughs> okay, so hang on. There's, there's pictures of this tile mm-hmm. on Google Maps. And it's showing like Home Depot pictures. And it's like public bathrooms. <laughs> Oh my god, that's good. <laughs> Public bathrooms. <laughs> Ugh, that's awful. Mm-hmm. I wonder if they just kind of tried to find a synonym for marble or granite flooring. Yeah. Or maybe they just really like a public bathroom. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Um. Anyway, that was my book. It was... <sighs> As much as it pains me, I think I would give this book like a three, maybe a three and a half. Okay. Because it had some good ideas as much as it was very culty. <laughs> as much as it was very, let us isolate you from your only friends and family. Oh, what's that? You're an orphan. It's half the job done. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, I I feel like if the pacing had been slower, it could have been more romantic. Um, I think it could have been chopped in half. I didn't care about Jackson. Actually, no, I take that back. I cared more about Jackson and Viv than I did about Blaze and Sora. Me too. (laughs) They seemed fun. They seemed like they had a healthy start to a relationship going. Yeah. So, you know, the, the OC could do a... Or the CW could do a spin-off series. <laughs> um, yeah, I I will say there were there were strong story elements. It's very quick. So if you're in a rush to read something, this one's good. Um, but I think I would give it three blood bags out of five. <laughs> three three juice pouches out of five. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Vampire Capri Suns. <laughs> Pretty much. So what did you read, Danielle? Oh yeah. My turn. It is your turn, yes. I've had almost my whole drink now, so we'll see how this goes. Um, so I read The Lost Vampire Prince Evil Rising Book One by Melody Raven. <laughs> <laughs> it just reminds me of the My Immortal Challenge from the Harry Potter fanfic. I don't know what that is. <gasps> I have to send that to you. Oh my god. <laughs> no. You don't understand. This is this is fan fiction iconography. You know it does sound familiar. I will send it to you. Anyway, um, your book written by 
Ebony Ravenway. Melody Raven. So Annabelle is a teacher and PhD student at a college campus in New York City. Just any college campus? Yeah, it doesn't say. <laughs> I don't know. Pick one. Right? Which campus you want. Okay. It's yours. It doesn't say what neighborhood she lives in, what borough. It doesn't say if she lives, she's on an island. It doesn't, there's nothing. <laughs> I'm still giggling over the, it doesn't say if she lives. <laughs> so I guess a few years ago, people that are supernatural creatures were, I guess, outed into the public spotlight. Like from a webcam live stream of a werewolf fight, right? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay. Um a lot of more people are trying to be like them or become them or hunt them or whatever since then. And Anna has found a group of people looking for vampires and they meet in a room in a coffee house. They met on the internet. Like speed dating? No. No, they're trying to find vampires. Just to find them. Yeah. That's weird. Um, That's a little weird. It is. Well, they're not allowed to, to exchange, like, contact information or real names or why they want to find a vampire. That's weird. Yeah. I don't know if it's for safety or what, but... I don't know. But it's only, like, five of them. <laughs> um, That's the start of a cult. <laughs> um, two of them are businessmen named Dennis and Brad, and they will factor in a little later. Okay. Um, so they all show up to this meeting, and Dennis says that he was contacted by a Mr. X who wants to join the group, and despite some misgivings because they agree to meet with him, um, no, they, so they agree to meet with him because, damn it, it's been a year, and nothing has happened. So they've been hunting vampires for a year, and they haven't found any? Yeah. That, that's like the vampire hunter group Guillermo joins in What We Do in the Shadows. <laughs> exactly! Because they're bad at it. <laughs> They don't know what they're doing. They don't know what to look for. They're, like, looking at crime scene details and trying to, like, link it to other crime scene details. And, like, they, they have nothing. They're trying to hunt vampires like they're Bigfoot? Yeah. What the hell? In New York. What the hell? <laughs> I lived in New York. That shit's weird on a regular day. Yeah. Um. Yeah, my sister lived there for a couple years, and... Her best advice was you have to out-crazy the crazy people. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because she worked in um, Grand Central. Yeah, down in the food court where all the homeless people hang out in the winter. Oh. And she, if she was on, if she was working, they would steer clear because they knew she would yell at them. <laughs> yeah. I would say to working in cafes, you have to out-crazy the crazy. Mm -hmm. Or you have to make sure you have the cops on speed dial. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so they're horrible at this. And then one of the guys gets contacted by an anonymous source. But he calls the guy's cell phone without explaining how he got the guy's cell phone number. The anonymous source does? Mm-hmm. That is weird. I mean, yeah. unless this dude has, like, free math tutoring lessons taped no. up with his phone number. I don't think he does. Maybe it's supposed to imply how mysterious it is? Possibly. Huh. Okay. Um, so they've decided to... Actually, yeah. If someone randomly called my cell phone and like, no, I would not like that. 
No. So Anna was the only one that didn't want to meet with him because she's like, and no one cares that he just has your cell phone number. Okay. She can't remember which college she teaches at, but she's concerned about people having cell phone numbers. Yeah. Okay. Um, she goes home from the meeting, puts on running clothes and an MP3 player, and then grabs a shoulder bag, puts her flip phone in it, and a forty-five, Like a gun? Yeah. Swings the bag around to her back and goes for a run. Dude, it is not that safe. No. What? This is the part where I texted you that I had just gone on a rant in my notes. Oh my god. About how this girl has no survival skills. I would assume she lives in the middle of the fucking ghetto that she thinks she needs a gun. One. She also has issues. I could tell that right away. Yeah. Okay. And that's only the first thing that happens that prompted the rant. Um, Then, I'm pretty sure the author has never been to a big city because while Anna is running, her phone rings. So she stops at a bus stop to swing the bag around to her front and answer it. It's Mr. X who tells her there's a gift under the seat of the bus stop. So there's someone watching her, knows where she is, and wants her to get under the seat of the bus stop. That's gross and dirty. She's gonna catch hepatitis. That's what I thought. She's gonna catch things. No. So she puts her phone down on the seat of the bus stop so she can kneel down on the ground and look under the bench before she reaches under there. I, one, don't put your valuables down anywhere. Even if it's a flip phone, it's still your only way to call for help. Yeah. And now it's been on a bus stop bench. That. Mm. Two, not only should you not sit on the bus stop bench, do not kneel down on the gross-ass ground in the city. And get your hair in the gunk on the street. You have to burn those pants now, and maybe your knees. And cut your hair. Yeah, you also made yourself incredibly vulnerable by kneeling down like that. Right? You feel safe enough that you can get down on all fours, but not, like, but you bring a gun. Yeah, also you could find a damn envelope that may or may not be there. From someone who's been following her. Yeah, and is looking at her right now. That's dumb. Mm-hmm. So what happens next? Um, so she gets this envelope, and inside is a piece of paper with a name and address on it. Nicholas Zolkin. And what do you know? The address is an apartment across the street from the bus stop. And she's like, what the hell? And he's like, what you've been looking for? He usually leaves around 11. You're welcome. And hangs up. That's creepy and weird. Yeah. That's creepy and weird. I don't like that. Yeah. Ironically, she's been looking for a vampire for years, and this one lives less than two miles away from her house. That's creepier and weirder. Yeah. Except that the vampire is not in on it. What? The one she's been given the name and address of. Mm-hmm. He's not in on it. He doesn't even know about her. No. Just some creep who's been watching him as well as her. Yeah. Decided to narc him out. Yeah. That's awful. Is she going to be dumb and go inside? <laughs> oh my god. Absolutely. Ew. Um, she wants to confirm he's a vampire without like going up and asking him. So she waits until he leaves that night and breaks into his apartment. What the, what the hell is up with people breaking into each other's apartments in vampire books? Fun for the whole family. <laughs> <laughs> How I met your mother. <laughs> So she's, like, looking around his apartment just for anything suspicious, I guess. It's mostly just full of books. (laughs) Because you're trapped inside all day long. You have a lot of free time. What was she expecting? Like, torture devices and, like, a butcher shop? I don't know. But then she finds 
like, like she goes in the kitchen and the refrigerator has like a big chain with a padlock on it. Bitch, get out of the house. Yeah, no, she brought a lockpick set, which is how she got into the apartment. No, she's gonna die. Um, so she opens the fridge and there's like food and stuff in there, which is surprising. But then the whole bottom shelf is like jars of blood. That would spoil. You would think. Like, I, that's why I kind of like vampire books, that the vampire works at a blood bank. <laughs> uh-huh. Like, it's fine. They get a free meal. The other people get help. <laughs> so she puts everything back exactly the way it was and skedaddles. I mean, okay. It's something like a survival skill, but bitch, why'd you go inside? Yeah, there was no reason. Just to break into someone's house, see if they're a vampire. Yeah. Okay. Um, and then we switch to Nicholas's point of view, where he gets home from clubbing and feeding and whatever, and <laughs> he immediately picks up her scent trail, basically, because he's a supernatural being and has more abilities than humans. Of course. He follows it all through the apartment, like a bloodhound, going, well, then she went in here, and then she went in here. <laughs> and can even smell, like, which jar of blood she picked up. And he freaks out, because now it's dawn, he's trapped in his home, and whoever this chick is could come back at any time with friends and weapons. Oh yeah, she opened it and smelled it to see what it was. Gross! Because she's stupid. That's- dude, both our bitches were gross. Yeah, and stupid. <laughs> really good duh faces. <laughs> yeah, um, because Anna was unable to sleep after she committed her felony, <laughs> she she canceled her classes for that day. I think it's just a misdemeanor, actually. Mm, okay. <laughs> <laughs> you have to fuck up really bad for it to be a felony. <laughs> so she canceled all of her classes that day and stayed home, and I was like, that sounds like a you problem? <laughs> if you're hungover, you still have to go to work. Right? Is that all she is? She's just hungover? Well, no, she just ended up staying up all night because she couldn't sleep after her crime. Take a fucking sleeping pill. Yeah. Drink some valerian root tea with willow bark. <laughs> um, but because she doesn't know that Nicholas knows she was in his home, she decides to follow him to find out what his hobbies are as a way of approaching him because she needs to know if he can help her find her friend who was possibly taken by a vampire years ago. He needs to um, get a restraining order. Yeah, and this is why she's looking for vampires, to ask questions. I'm like, there are much less creepy ways to go about this. Yeah, I don't like this. No. this I, I, If this had happened to me, regardless of if I was a vampire or not, I would definitely be moving. Mm -hmm. Some creepy bitch walks into my apartment and sniffs all my stuff. Yeah. Like, no, I'm moving. Yeah. Immediately that day. She wants to know where her friend is from 15 years ago. That bitch don't remember you and she's dead. <laughs> right? Also, there's someone named Charles she wants to make sure is dead. We don't know at that point who that is. It's the friend's boyfriend. No. Am I close? No. Okay, <laughs> hey, fine. Uh, so that night she starts following him and I guess the wind is blowing in the wrong direction because he knows she's there. And in case she's not alone, because he figures she's got, like, a whole hunter group with her, because he's paranoid. Because he has preservation skills and she does not. <laughs> yeah, because he also has issues. <laughs> <laughs> um, he decides to lead her to a busy club where young people gather and pretend to be vampires. Uh, because humans won't usually attack in plain sight. That's kind of funny, because it's, you know, bagging on humans. Mm -hmm. But also kind of, that's pretty 
Okay. I can see vampires hiding in a vampire club. Yeah, she saw it and like raised an eyebrow and was like, really? <laughs> so she goes in looking for him, but gets lost in the crowd because she's short and everyone in there is in like platform whatever. Um, so she looks for him, but she gets lost in the crowd and he's able to like grab her from behind. And I would say he forced her out the back door, but he just, he just kind of, he's really tall. So he just kind of picks her up and carries her out the back door. Kidnaps her. Yeah. For his cult. Cults abound. Yeah. <laughs> um, once he realizes she's not there to kill him, he asks what she wants. And she's like, I have questions for a vampire. And he's sort of bewildered. And he's like, yeah, sure. I want the fuck out of this apartment. <laughs> fucking kidnapped me. When she reaches for her back pocket, he picks her up off the ground again. Which is apparently his, like, go-to. I don't know what that's about. So she explains that there's a drawing of a man she's looking for in her back pocket. He smirks and says that if she's looking for a man, and she's like, yeah, no, that's hilarious. Never heard that one before. Yeah, but then he gets a look at the drawing and basically drops her on the ground. <laughs> My bitch falling off a roof. He looks all angry, and she confirms with him that the vampire in the drawing is named Alexander. Okay. Um, oh, then she finds her sweatshirt she'd been holding in a gross puddle and goes to pick it up she's okay your bitch is really gross yeah okay i was afraid i was a germaphobe no like later on in my notes i'm like i might be a germaphobe i mean i can i can i can see it picking up my sweatshirt but i can also see like stopping at a bodega to get a plastic bag for it Mm -hmm. also how did it get in the puddle wasn't she wearing it she was holding it and in all the kerfuffle she dropped it okay um luckily nicholas is here now and is like i think you can leave that there yeah <laughs> big girl that's dirty oh so nicholas starts pulling her back in the direction of his apartment and she's sure she's headed for certain death and so she starts apologizing for like breaking into his apartment and following him and you know all these things she shouldn't have done mm -hmm. and uh he's like not really responding. He's like thinking. So she pulls her gun on him. Doesn't work because he's a vampire and has like super speed. I mean, it's not, it's not the dumbest idea she's ever had. Yeah. And she, hey, she did something. Yeah. I'm like my girl who was like, okay. She was like fucking Chad. Chad it. <laughs> so he takes the gun away and is like, what the fuck? He's like, so he tells her he doesn't intend to kill her, and she says she only tried to shoot him because she thought he was going to kill her, so now they are just going to have to trust each other. <laughs> Listen, I know I broke into your house and shot you, but I thought that you were going to attack me. <laughs> That's such a dumb defense. Um, so they go to his apartment to talk about what the fuck is happening, and she tells him that when she was younger, she saw a vampire, Alexander, kill a man. Her friend's dad. And after that, there were two disappearances. Her friend, Evie, mm -hmm. and her own father, Charles. Um, so Anna's father, Charles, disappeared with the friend. Nicholas has no idea why Alexander would have left Annabelle alive if she had seen him kill someone. Because she's his real daughter. 
Hey, I've read romance novels where it was exactly that, okay? Oh my god. Um, she asks why Alexander's eyes were black when he killed Evie's father, and Nicholas says that when vampires are feeling very passionate, their eyes get very dark. Killing, feeding, sex. She doesn't understand why those would prompt the same feelings. And he slides closer, because she's really clueless about, like, human interactions. And he slides closer on the couch and makes a joke about how the French call it le petit mort. Oh, the little death. Yeah, so she tries to establish some boundaries. <laughs> that seems to always be the joke with vampires. Like, I've, I've never heard that used as a pickup line outside of vampire romance. <laughs> That's because it's creepy. <laughs> it's true. If someone said that to me while we were making out, I'd be like, get the fuck out. <laughs> he asks how important it is that she, like, if they team up to find Alexander, how important is it that she get these answers? Because the next time he sees him, he's going to kill him. <laughs> he only kidnapped your dad and your best friend, but I'm gonna kill him, so. Um, he tells Annabelle that vampires have kings, and Alexander forcibly took the throne 60 years ago, leaving Nicholas, the former king's best general, to live in exile in caves and shit. Um, they, like, chased him and tried to kill him for decades, and eventually sort of went... Eh, whatever. Apparently he's always known how to kill Alexander, he's just never had anyone stupid enough to help him until now. I mean, is she insulted by being called stupid? Just a little bit. She's also like, I mean, fair. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as long as she's self-aware yeah. that she's doing some dumb shit, okay. She's gonna take a day and think about it, and goes home. Mm-hmm. After he kisses her hand, and it feels like an electric current goes through it. Unbeknownst to Annabelle, he follows her home to make sure she gets there safely, and also to find out where she lives, and then feels bad he didn't offer her something to wear on her walk home, because by the end she's shivering. Which is a lot of emotion to feel about someone he's telling himself will probably be collateral damage, and that he won't feel guilty about it. I mean, yeah, but also she broke into my fucking house and tried to shoot me. <laughs> it's been a big day. Um, Nicholas starts showing up at Annabelle's recurring nightmares, and then the dreams sort of turn into sexy nightmares? See a therapist. Uh-huh. She's afraid of her reaction to Nicholas's interest in her because she's never responded that way to anyone before. Um, her experience with Ben is really limited because of her father. He was, he was extremely charming, and, like, their whole small town loved him, but she was terrified of him and her whole back is covered in scars. So why does she give a fuck what happened to him? She's trying to make sure he's dead. She's afraid that she'll meet a man and not know he's like that until it's too late. So she just hasn't gone out with anybody. Yeah, but she's felt horny before, I'm sure. Right? That's, like, she must have had horny dreams before. It makes it sound like she hasn't. It's really weird. Hmm. Okay. But, like, to protect herself, she wears her clothes too big and, like, no makeup and glasses to hide her face. And, like, she basically dresses like a teenager. Right. Dresses kind of frumpy. Yeah. Okay. She decides to spend the next day with her Aunt Abigail, who raised her after her father disappeared. Um, she's, like, a couple hours away on a bus. Um, Abigail helps her realize that she's scared because she likes Nicholas and won't be in control if they go off on this adventure for a few days. When she gets home, Nicholas is waiting at her door. And when she isn't sure she wants him to have an open invitation into her home, they go to a bar to talk instead of talking in her apartment. Why didn't she just leave him at the door? Talk to him through the door. Don't know. That would have been better. It would have been safer. Yeah. Hell, go to the back porch if you need. Mm-hmm. But like, no. Bitch, you broke into his house. Um, when they sit down, some vampires get up and- Oh, so they go to a bar that he goes to. So mm -hmm. the other patrons are vampires. So a real vampire bar. 
Yeah. Okay. When they sit down, some vampires get up and move farther away. And I guess when he was exiled, everyone else was like told not to help him. Okay. And I guess some are still afraid of being associated with him. So he gets a drink and they talk. And she says she would like to talk to Alexander before they attempt to kill him. And he's like, you don't know who we're dealing with. Right. Uh, He's not going to let us walk away if you decide you don't want to kill him. And and then she says, number two, we're not going to have sex. And he's like, oh, seriously? (laughs) (laughs) Not even a little. Right. Tiny (laughs) thing. On my birthday. (laughs) Then two big vampires approach the table and tell them to leave. And Nicholas is all like patronizing and shit. So one picks up his glass and like shatters it on the table. And when Annabelle jumps back from flying shards of glass, Nicholas is on his feet and has shoved the guy's face into the glass, insisting he apologized to the lady. Um, And the other guy backs away. That's traumatic. Yeah. That's, that's like my dude forgiving her for attacking him. Then while Nicholas and Glassface Guy are arguing, Annabelle sees a blur headed for Nicholas out of the corner of her eye, and on instinct she throws herself between them, which is dumb. Dumb? Dumb. That's so dumb. She's thrown onto a table in the middle of the room, slides across it, and lands on the floor like a sack of potatoes. Well, who saw that coming? Right? She tries to push herself up, but then there's a hand around her throat, and the guy says something about siding with traitors. Why would you get into a vampire fight? Just, like, bail. She does bring this up later. She, like, is just waiting for him to bite her, but then he's gone. And she looks around, and Nicholas is, like, beating him up over there. We don't bite cult members before they're initiated. (laughs) And she tries to, like call over to him but now her throat's all fucked up but it makes some kind of noise and he hears her so he comes over and helps her up and helps her walk towards her house (laughs) and they have a talk and he agrees to consider her safety before getting into fights in the future (laughs) i can't believe she jumped in front of a charging vampire but she brings up the fact that if they had taken him out she would have been a small human in a vampire bar by herself so (laughs) with people who are angry at me We weigh pride against safety now. (laughs) (laughs) He asks, why put yourself in all this danger if if your father's likely dead? And she doesn't want to have to look over her shoulder anymore. And she asks, why go through all this trouble for a king who's already dead? And he says that Kirill, the king he served, came to power when vampires were hiding in the woods, being hunted to extinction. He and Kirill made them into civilized people that could interact with humans and become members of communities. He thinks Kirill was killed because someone wanted to subjugate the humans and become a master race. He spent 400 years helping Kirill, and he's not going to let Alexander undo it all. So he, so they basically domesticated warlords. Yeah. Nando the Relentless. <laughs> the fucking guy. <laughs> they get to her building, and he backs her up against a wall. She puts her hands on his chest and pushes, because she's not playing his game. But he, like, takes her wrists and pins them to the wall next to her head and moves in closer so that his body's up against hers. Um, he explains that her scent draws him to her, and he can't seem to keep his distance. Okay, so she smells like chocolate cream pie. Yeah. Meanwhile, he's explaining this, he's put his nose in her neck, and she's put her hands on his shoulders to push him away, but as he talks, her hands sort of wrap around his shoulders instead. (laughs) (laughs) You were threatening my life, but now I'm super turned on. Then he suddenly picks her up, and her arms and legs wrap around him, and he, like, nibbles on her neck, and her hips start to move, and then they're kissing and dry-humping in what I gather is an alley next to her apartment building. (laughs) 
She's not a fan. I I have to agree with the kitty. Yeah. This is why why didn't they just go into her apartment building? I don't know. But then one of his hands gets too close to her bare back and she freaks out and pushes him away. Mm, because of the scars. Yeah. Okay. And then when her hands are shaking too much to unlock the apartment building door, he unlocks it for her and asks if he can know what's wrong. She says that it's not because she doesn't want him. And then at her apartment door, he can give her his phone number. So they exchange information and then he says goodnight. I mean, that's a more reasonable exchanging of phone numbers than bitch getting her house broken into three times. Yes. And, you know, good for respecting, and I I guess. Uh-huh. It's like every so often something okay happens in this book. Yeah. That gets you back on track with wanting to know what happened. <laughs> so the next day at work, Annabelle gets another call from Mr. X, and he wants to know what she and Nicholas talked about. She's like, great, we're still being followed. She evades the question and says her phone might be bugged. She doesn't feel comfortable talking about it. He suggests a meeting at 1 a.m. in Central Park. Yeah, okay, no. The park is closed. <laughs> no, the park is closed at 1 a.m. They have, like, <laughs> mounted police in there. Wow. Yeah, they keep an eye on shit late at night. Like, bum fights. <laughs> And if you ride your bike through the park after a certain hour, you can get a ticket. <laughs> like, you can't just meet someone in the park at 1 a.m. It is not the 80s anymore. No, thank God. <laughs> she decides to take Nicholas with her and agrees to the meeting time. But now she really is afraid her phone is bugged because a person can be paranoid and write at the same time. So she heads to the subway and somehow finds a working payphone. And I'm like, when was this published? Um, no, there's still, there are still payphones in some subway platforms. Not many. And usually the nicer, uh, stops. And she uses the payphone to call Nicholas. And this is the part where I wrote that I might be a germaphobe. Like, why, why would, no, don't touch things. (laughs) Stop touching everything. I mean, she's already been on the subway. Fine. Uh, So she calls him and tells her, he tells her that he'll go to this meeting alone. It's too risky for her to come to. And then she doesn't want him to go either. But he would like to know why they're being watched and why this person is just giving out his personal information. Yeah, that's weird. Mm -hmm. And scary. Yeah. Um, Annabelle asks that Nicholas call her by dawn so that she knows he's okay. And he teases her. He's like, are you worried about me? I was actually just thinking, like, okay, mom. And she's like, well, as you pointed out, you're not everyone. And then she hangs up before she can incriminate herself further. On his way to the park, he hires a sex worker that looks vaguely like Annabelle to sit on the bench with her hoodie up and hides himself in a tree where he can watch. That is fucking creepy. Yeah. That's weird. I mean, I guess it's an easy hundred dollars or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now I'm isolated in the middle of nowhere? In the park at night. Someone approaches her, hands her some money, and tells her to go away. So she does. I mean, yeah, okay. Take his money and run, bitch. He sure did. <laughs> <laughs> he's able to see that he's a the guy has a vampire named You know, I don't know why we learn his name, because we never hear it again. <laughs> Like, we hear about these guys again later, but they don't mention his name again. Why did you name him if we never hear his name again? I know, but he's one of Alexander's most trusted men. Shh. <laughs> Not if we don't know his name. <laughs> he's Besnik. You know what? Besnik and Alexander are better vampire names than fucking Blaze and Jackson, the thousand-year-old vampires. Alexander is spelled A-L-E-K-S-A-N-D-E-R. 
Another man comes up to him and they start talking like they're working together. And then one gets a phone call, hangs up, and then they both draw swords out of their big coats. Like Highlander? I guess. What? I'm not sure. They don't really describe the big coats. It's just a big coat. Why do they have swords? Because that's how they're comfortable fighting, maybe? You're a vamp- I, I don't- You're a fucking vampire! I don't care how many- Centuries it's been. Adapt to new technology. You've learned how to use a cell phone. Learn how to use something else. Right? Get a taser, dude. What the hell? Um, and they start looking around for something or someone. And Nicholas realizes he's been, like, had. So it looks like he's been spying on Alexander. He's a good fighter, but not against two vampires as old as he is and armed with swords. <laughs> so his best bet is to run. So he waits till they're looking away <laughs> and just drops down from his tree and takes off. Your shoe's untied. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now he has to make them lose his scent trail. So he ends up running like all night. Um, and now we flash back to Annabelle to watch her do some more dumb shit. I'm like rubbing my forehead. You sound so annoyed with her. Like who let you out of the house? Yeah. Seriously. Aww. So waiting for Nicholas to call her, so she does the dumbest thing ever and emails Dennis, the the other man in the vampire group that Mr. X had contacted. She says that he also contacted her, she doesn't trust him, and also she found one. Um, and then my notes say, did I say the dumbest thing ever? Because I was wrong. <laughs> At 4am, she decides to run by Nicholas's apartment. Girl, go to bed. Yeah. She needs to learn what sleeping pills are. Yeah. She brings Mace and her lockpick set. Again, breaking and entering. <laughs> sure. But the street door has been broken open like a vampire just pulled on it till the lock broke out of the wall. The next part, I have to admit, is clever. Um, she checks the names on the intercom for the third floor. Nicholas lives on the fourth floor. And climbs the stairs very quietly. And then on the third floor, she loses her jacket and shoes and yells to a closed door that she's going already. She climbs to the fourth floor normally and Nicholas's door is so broken that it's like hanging open. She knocks obnoxiously loud and calls hello, putting on an annoyed look. And a large man who isn't Nicholas comes to the door. She says she's Mrs. Whoever's niece and she was wondering what all the noise was about. After like... Just looking at her for a minute. <laughs> he apologizes and said he had an acquaintance over and it didn't end well. As she's leaving, she introduces herself as Jane and he steals Nicholas's name. And she definitely got yelled at for going there when Nicholas finally called her. Well, I mean, someone had to. That is kind of a cute scene. Like, it's very plucky and intuitive. And if someone did it in a TV show, we'd be like, hey, that was pretty clever. Yeah. Um, But like... Well, please don't do that. <laughs> yeah, he went there without her so she'd be safe, and then she left the safety of her apartment and went to his apartment, where it was not safe. It doesn't seem like it'd be safe at his place anyway, especially after all he's already told us. Like, please, I, I will stay away from your apartment, please just text me. He asked that she stay in her apartment that day, because whatever this is has to do with her. Um... She shouldn't let in anyone, even people she knows, because pure vampires, who are born vampires to two vampire parents, um, and can drink from vampires if they have to, but do better if they drink from humans, as opposed to being turned by drinking a vampire's blood and then needing to 
drink vampire blood to stay alive like an impure vampire. Anyway, pure vampires can use mind control on mortals. Uh-huh. So it's not safe to let anyone in. Um, then tonight he'll pick her up and they'll head for where Alexander lives. Okay. Um, half an hour before the sun is supposed to set, someone knocks on her door and the peephole tells her it's Brad, the other businessman from the group. And she decides to pretend she's not there. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I knew about vampire hypnotism, which, you know, pretty girl hypnotism, vampire hypnotism, mm-hmm. same thing. I probably would not be talking to anybody either. Yeah, but he starts pounding on the door and yelling obscenities, which is weird and rude. And it just gets worse and worse until she finally does something stupid and opens the door with the chain on and pleasantly asks how she can help. No, bitch. You call the fucking police. Yeah, well, she considered that, but then... But then decided, nah, my safety's not important. Well, no, then there are more strange people in her apartment. And then when Nicholas gets there, she has they have to wait for the police to leave before they can leave. So what? This guy's a freak. Um, he's like, why didn't you answer the door? She's like, well, I don't know how you got my address so you can understand my hesitation. He was cursing you out like five minutes ago, five seconds ago, and you're just gonna open the door and be like, oh, how'd you get my address? Well, the- yeah. He says she- <laughs> he says she's in trouble and needs to come with him. And she asks how he got her address. They go back and forth, and when she won't budge on this wanting information thing, he starts pushing on the door. So when he rears back to hit it again, she slams it in his face and turns all the locks. <laughs> you know what could have avoided that? Not answering the door. Yeah. So many dumb things. She calls Nicholas, who tells her to stay put, and goes to pick a weapon. Like, there's not enough room in the hallway for the baseball bat in her room, so, like, she picks a skillet. Doesn't she have a gun? No, Nicholas has had it ever since she tried to kill him. Fair. That's fair. (laughs) He could have given it back, though, considering people are now trying to kill her. So she grabs a skillet and sits by the door with her packed bag, waiting for Nicholas to get there or for Brad to finally break the door down. (sighs) Call the fucking cops! (laughs) And, like, while she's sitting there, she remembers a time when her father locked her in a closet and there was nothing she could do but wait for for him to decide it was time for her to come out. But this time she has a weapon and a friend on the way, and so she's not helpless anymore. I mean, also, you're not locked in the closet, but okay, it's cool that she was able to talk herself out of PTSD. Yeah, she still didn't call the police. For fucking real! All of a sudden, the hallway goes quiet, and Nicholas announces himself. Brad is in the hallway, looking sort of dazed. He was asked to cooperate. So he pretty boy hypnotized her. He did. (laughs) Then Nicholas tells him to take them to the car he drove there, which is outside, and to give Annabelle his keys. He puts Brad in the back seat and climbs in after him. Um, And while she drives, he feeds on Brad for a few minutes after he and Annabelle fight about it because she's grossed out. (laughs) That's actually funny. Come on, he tried to kill you. Just let me have a bite. (laughs) He's been like running all night. And then he had to hide somewhere all day that was not his apartment. I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm going all day. I just want a Capri Sun. <laughs> and then she realizes that when she saw Alexander feed, he enjoyed it and like enjoyed taking a life. And Nicholas feeds like it's something he just has to do. And he certainly didn't kill Brad. I mean, yeah. Okay. I can see people just kind of being unbothered by it. They stopped to ditch Brad at a cheap hotel and... Annabelle admires Nicholas's back from the car, like while he's walking Brad to the door. He puts Brad in the room, tells him to lock the door after he closes it, 
and then lie down down on the bed and sleep for 12 hours. I mean, they put him up in a hotel at least. Mm -hmm. He thinks over for his simple plan to get Alexander that he's always had, which is to send a volunteer into Alexander's compound where they're sure to be caught. And then while everyone is rushing to them, he'd slip in while the guards are distracted. But he's never had a volunteer before. And the more time he spends with her, the less he wants her to die. So now he's trying to figure out a way for her to stay alive throughout the plan. But he's still going to send her in as a decoy. Well, maybe. (laughs) He's still really thinking about sending her in as a decoy. Yeah. He thinks she'd get over it if he refused her the opportunity to interrogate Alexander for herself. And at least that way she'd be alive. (laughs) And maybe one day she'd thank Nicholas. And maybe once she saw what he'd done for her, maybe she'd even crawl into his bed. I do not like that mentality, but it seems to check out for dude mentality. And I'm like, ugh! Yeah, especially. I think the older they are, the dumber they will know that's ageist. (laughs) Um, I'm gonna say there is a point where if you go too far back, men are going to be awful. Mm -hmm. In terms of how they think of women as, oh, well, that's a pretty thing there, Drew. Why don't you buy yourself a nice dress? Like, there's a point where you're like, hmm, you don't think women are people, do you? <laughs> um, they switch drivers, and now that Annabelle isn't concentrating on driving, she starts asking questions about vampires, and so he's answering questions. And then they actually have a sincere conversation where they tell each other that they don't want the other one dead. <laughs> I mean, it's not a confession of undying love, but it's a, I don't hate you as much as the others. Yeah. She asks how to kill a vampire in case she needs to defend herself against someone else, so he tells her. Um, any wound that destroys the heart or the head. Like a zombie? Sorta. He says that a bullet to the heart wouldn't kill him, but four or five in quick succession would. Because they heal really fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she asks, like, do crosses burn you? And he's like, he sort of laughs and he's like, silver burns to the touch and a lot of religious icons are made of silver. So that's sort of where that whole rumor got started. I can see that. Mm-hmm. Although silver was always a thing associated with werewolves before it was vampires. Yeah. Like, this silver-burning vampires thing is new. Yeah, I don't remember it from other things. No, it's it's very new. I think it came along with a myth about um someone did a thing or, like, had a headcanon or something that Judas was the first vampire. And vampires don't like silver because Judas was paid in silver. I have never heard that. Yeah. It, it, I don't remember where I heard it. It might have been on Gaia Online or something. Hmm. I would probably read that, but I've never heard that. I swear it's a thing. <laughs> so they pull into a motel a little before dawn, and he gets the room and like uses his, his uh, mind-controlling powers to tell the clerk that he didn't see him or the girl in the car. Pretty boy hypnosis. Got it. And then when they walk into the room, oh no, there's only one bed. <sighs> No. Uh... He starts to freak out, and he actually looks sort of bewildered and explains that he was, he was using his mind-controlling powers and genuinely forgot about sleeping situations. Like, the guy was busy being sort of mindless, and so he didn't ask. I can see this being a funny episode of the, the late-night supernatural show it is. <laughs> Up next on The CW. Right. She says he can have the chair, which he's like, okay, fine. He says he won't be sleeping anyway because he hasn't shared a room with anyone in 60 years and can't sleep if anyone's around. How old is he? We find out later. It leaves him too vulnerable to sleep around people. And she's like, 
how are you going to get sleep? And he's like, I'll be fine on the drive tomorrow. She's like, that's not what I asked you. No, I don't want you sleeping while you drive. Or you driving. So she asked what started this 60-year phobia. She's like, that's when Alexander took over, right? And so he was on the run, and everyone was forbidden from helping him. He was close to starving, and had actually had to dig a hole to protect himself from the sun for a couple of days. Not great for the sanity. I can see that. Yeah. Uh, He came across the house of a female vampire he knew and asked for shelter in not a great state of mind. She took care of him, and after he fell asleep, he woke up being dragged out by Alexander's men. Oh, she turned him in so now he doesn't like sleeping around other people. Mm -hmm. He was strong enough to break whatever they tied him up with, and then he stayed there pretending he hadn't, and none of those guys survived the night. He then tells her that the woman he of the the woman who owned that house um, was his fiance. Oh, and it was like a political marriage, like where they were just sort of friends, right? But still, right. So he doesn't trust people, and he doesn't trust women. Got it. Yeah, got it. Cult. So then he makes a play for sharing the bed in a fun way, and she counters. That he wants to have sex with her, but can't trust her enough to sleep in the same room. That's logical. She tells him to take half the bed because he needs sleep. And they need him at full strength in case anyone catches up with them. Right. And then she, like, falls dead asleep. And then we kind of come into, like, her dream. Mm-hmm. She's tied to a bed, and Charles is coming for her. Except for some reason she's face up and can't get turned around. She wakes up and is still tied to a bed in the dark. Wait, she's tied to- he tied her up? Yeah, she screams and flips around and gets on her knees, so she has some leverage, but she can't get untied. And then a light comes on, and it's Nicholas waking up. He unties her immediately, and she's like, where is he? He's like, we are the only ones here. He says that he did that. Ugh, no. No. Yeah, so that he could, she couldn't do anything to him in his sleep. Consent, dude. No, I don't like this. This is awful. I guess he thought that he would wake up before she did and could untie her and she would never know that it happened. That's worse. Yeah. I can see why you're drinking heavy with this one. (laughs) It's awful. Yeah. She just runs out of the room. It's daylight. So, I mean, no, wait, they've got their days and nights flipped around now. So it's nighttime? It's almost nighttime. So like he can't chase after her right now, but he can in a little bit. In like five minutes. That's awful this whole thing is awful yeah but she's like in sweatpants and a t-shirt and bare feet and just takes off in a panic and finally comes to like a farmhouse and no one is home but then like a big bus comes down the road and she flags it asking to go to the police station and they're like sure and it's full of chatty senior citizens just like a random bus yeah no they're in new york oh they've been driving for like two days oh where are they Well, the bus is headed for Chicago, somewhere in between. (laughs) (laughs) Just like some place where there's a bus. Yes. And a hotel. Yes. This is so weird. And a farmhouse. This is so weird. Literally be any of the middle. Okay. (laughs) Um, They get maybe five minutes down the road when there's a roadblock in the form of the car they had driven there. And she's like, what the fuck? The sun just went down. That's so spooky. I don't like this. This is rapidly turning from romance novel into psychological horror. Yeah. 
As Nicholas is explaining to the driver that they're newlyweds and they had a misunderstanding and he needs to talk to his wife, she finds a tire iron. <laughs> he winds up using mind control on the bus driver because he's not buying it completely. Right. I mean, if some bitch came onto my bus with a tire iron and some dude was like, no, no, it's my wife. Gonna believe the bitch who's barefoot and looks terrified. Even if the, he is her husband, who the fuck cares? She wanted to go to the police station. Right? I'm still- it doesn't matter the situation. If she is terrified and barefoot and trying to swing at you, running, no. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, this is not the 30s. If a woman comes in, I'm not gonna call her husband to come get her. Okay, so he hypnotizes the bus driver. What next? He winds up working on the whole bus because all the senior citizens have like, they're like sitting facing forward like their favorite program is on. (laughs) (laughs) They're not paying attention to them at all while they talk in the aisle. They end up like scuffling and she gets a couple good shots in. Her shirt winds up like ripped down the front somehow because he like tries to grab for her, but that's when she gets him over the head with the tire iron. (laughs) And he happens to rip her shirt open. Because he backs up a little bit. Uh Uh-huh. Um... Anyway, that he sees her, ends up seeing her back. Mm. And he just stops. And so she stops and was looking at him and then she realized what happened. And he's like, what the hell? Which is not the most sensitive question I've ever heard. No, but it, it is not an illogical response. And she says, that's what happened to me the last time someone tied me to a bed. Oh, okay. That's not cool. Dude, you suck even harder now. Yeah. <sighs> What? This is Nikolai? Nicholas, yeah. He's even worse. Mm -hmm. Fuck him. He didn't know that, so now he's like, oh, holy shit, I ruined everything. Well, maybe if you weren't an actual fucking serial killer. Yeah. (sighs) Okay. So she leaves the bus and just sort of stands near it for a minute, and he gives her the minute and then follows and says he has her stuff in the car so she can, like, put a new shirt on. Um, But then with the car... I've written that they make up, and I don't remember what that means. Or, I I mean, I know what it means, but I don't remember how. (laughs) That's okay. I forgot my fucked. So, like, don't worry about it. (laughs) They get their stuff and move the car off the road and go back to the bus. And Nicholas tells everyone that they're newlyweds who had car trouble and the bus pulled over and offered them a ride to Chicago. Um, Oh, it's just she's like, we'll get to Chicago and then I'll decide what to do. And he's like, okay. But he like, while they're on the bus, he like keeps her close and like holds her hand. And it's kind of cute, even though it's just been horrifying. I mean, yeah, he he tried. He kidnapped her multiple times. He tied her to a fucking bed without consent. Yes. Nothing is sexier than consent. (laughs) No one's told him this. Because he's from the 1300s. And hasn't talked to another soul in 60 years. That's awful. Uh, in Chicago, they find another car and keep driving. Um, and then, like, they talk on the way there and end up flirting and whatever. And then they stop at a hotel in Minnesota. And as he's asking for two rooms, she interrupts and asks for one room um, with a king bed. And then they fucked. What? Yeah. The worst fucking shit to happen in fucking years for either of them. He ties her- What? I don't know. Did- uh, It's like somehow it's brought them closer? I don't understand. I don't- I don't- I don't like this. Yeah. I don't like this at all. She's also fucked in the head, we have to remember. I mean, yes. This is true. (laughs) But like, I- Okay. Ugh. Ugh disgusted sounds 
Yeah. Okay. Um, in the car, they spend a few hours in silence until she finally loses it and wants to know how he isn't bored. At some point, he stops the car and says they need to get some fresh air and go over some things. She thinks she should go in as a distraction. As a, as a distraction. Not knowing that was his plan before he caught feelings. <laughs> um, he fights it, but she fights back, and it's really the only slash best plan they have. He gives her one of his daggers and shows her on him where to stick the pointy end, like into his heart. She would like him to never do that again. Then he shows her on his arm that the blade is silver, so it's a two-for-one weapon, and she didn't like that either. Because she was hurting the guy she now fell in love with, even though he kidnapped her twice and tied her to a bed? Yeah. I, I don't think he ever kidnapped her. Like, it sounds like he kidnapped her the way Brick kidnapped Sarah, and that it, he, this is your only choice. Very come with me if you want to live. <laughs> No, she got, like, a day to think over the plan, if, like, if she wanted to go. My bitch didn't get any of that. <laughs> um, he makes one last bid for her to call it off. He's like, we can just go home. And she's like, no, I have to know. Okay. Um, and then he asks who did that to her back so that if something happens to her tonight, he knows who to hunt down for hurting her. And she tells him that it was her father, Charles. Um, and only Alexander can tell them if he's dead or still out there. Right. So the next thing we see is Anna is walking up the long, dark path of the to what they call the compound. She knocks and acts like a total ditz whose car has broken down. Oh my god, I'm so glad you're home. Mm -hmm. She asks them to come look at it because she doesn't want to go inside, but they invite her to come in so they can call someone for her, and they end up mind-controlling her for like two seconds until she gets across the threshold and she manages to shake it off. Maybe because she knows what they're doing? I'm not sure why or how. Um, they grab her and a scuffle ensues with her eyes closed so they can't control her because they have to be looking at her. The sure. I guess they have to look in your eyes to make it work. I'm just imagining her like mosh pitting <laughs> well like one has grabbed her and so she's just sort of flailing her limbs around trying to get a good kick or punch in apparently she lands a fortunate kick because one goes down calling her a bitch and the other one slams her into a wall and starts to feed from her she manages to get the dagger from its sheath and can't get to his heart so she stabs him through the neck which gross yeah but like good job she runs to the nearest door she finds and slams it shut behind her and because it's her, it's a bathroom with no windows. That's not great. No. But hey, it's a diversion. Yeah. Um, oh, instead of the guy running at the bathroom door, she hears a commotion out there and figures Nicholas must have finally arrived. And then she catches a reflection in the mirror. And like the whole bottom half of her face is covered in blood from when she stabbed the vampire. And so she's like frantically rinsing her face and rinsing her mouth out, trying to spit out all the water, hoping a few drops of vampire blood aren't enough to turn her. They are. They always are. That's how, that's how zombies work. Well, it turns out they actually aren't, but it is enough to make it so that mind control won't work on her until it's out of her system. That's a convenient MacGuffin. It is. Or plot device. Yeah. Yeah. And then Nicholas opens the bathroom door and sees her covered in blood and tries to tell her to leave. And then when she argues, he finally uses mind control on her. To make her run away. Or he thinks he does. Right, because it doesn't work. Yeah. But she plays along. Yeah. Um, he spills his own blood on the ground to attract the vampires and walks the other way. He starts to, like, run through the woods to 
draw everyone that way. Okay. Um, Annabelle stops in the woods and is upset and, like, angry, because that's when we find out she pretended to be mind-controlled. And now she's wondering when else he's done this to her, because she has issues. I mean, yeah. He hasn't exactly proven himself to be spectacularly trustworthy. Yeah. She figures most of Alexander's guards are chasing Nicholas in the woods, and she can't be mind-controlled at the moment, so she heads back to the compound. (laughs) (laughs) There are no bodies on the floor, so she grabs her dagger where she dropped it and follows a blood trail up the stairs. She finds Alexander tending to the wounds of the guard who had bit her. I mean, he deserved it. Yeah. She calmly asks if he knows who she is, and he says her name, and then she slowly lifts the dagger in front of his heart and says she needs to ask him some questions. And he goes to answer, but then looks behind her and shouts no just before something slams into her and her head hits the hardwood floor. Oh shit. Uh, Just before she passes out, she thought she saw Evie. Oh, her friend. Mm -hmm. When she wakes up, Evie is there. It turns out she'd been seeing Alexander. Um, They were going to run away together, and her father, who was abusive, found out and beat her almost to death. Um, Alexander killed her father and turned Evie into a vampire because her wounds were so bad. So Charles was Evie's father too? No, different dad. They just both had shit luck. Um, Luckily, it worked because not all mortals survive the transition. Right. Uh, The next morning... Oh, yeah, so the next morning after she'd transitioned into a vampire, Evie didn't want to leave without Annabelle. But I guess brand new vampires are very unstable. So Evie ate Annabelle's dad? She sure did. (laughs) She felt brave enough to face him that way and knocked on the door. And when he opened it, he stepped outside, but she could smell Annabelle's blood in the house. Mm. Because that was the night he had tied her up and beat her. Right. Um, So she killed him, but then there was no one to invite them inside so she could get Annabelle. (laughs) And she was, understandably, a bit afraid of herself at the moment. Um, She did check on her a couple of years later when she was living with her aunt, and she looked happy and normal, so she just left her there. So wait, is Evie just stuck as a 15-year-old? Yeah. That's awful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Evie and Alexander tell Annabelle that the vampire king, Kirill, was Nicholas's father and went Targaryen crazy at the end. (laughs) <laughs> but shielded Nicholas from it so he didn't see it mm. um, they think Nicholas is very dangerous the guards will catch him and take him to the basement which is a nice word for dungeon and remembering the guards that enjoyed beating him before Annabelle asks for a book and a chair and sets herself up by his cell he's got a bag over his head but he can hear like pages turning and then he can smell that she's there and he thinks she's there because she's mad about the mind control um so he apologizes for trying to get into her head but it was for her protection and she says that so far everything he's done for her protection is just him being an ass i mean not inaccurate Mm -hmm. um and then two different vampires come down at different times trying to get her to leave so they can have a private word with nicholas and she uh, sasses both of them, is like, oh no, I won't be leaving. You can say whatever you have to say in front of me if you'd like. Okay. But Alexander said that I could come down here, so and they're like, ah, oh, shit. We don't want to hit someone in front of a girl. Well, and that also tells them that he's under Alexander's protection for, for, some, for some reason. Hmm. Um, and then Nicholas realizes that she's there to protect him, and it, like, warms his undead heart. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, Alexander comes down to talk to Nicholas and sends Annabelle upstairs. They hash out some differences, or 
fight about him anyway, and then talk about Mr. X setting up Nicholas so that Alexander would send a bunch of his men to find Nicholas. Mm-hmm. This is Nicholas's theory. Leaving the compound underprotected and easier to attack. Um, Alexander tells Nicholas that he can come upstairs, and if he behaves himself, no harm will come to him or Annabelle. Also, he's informed Alexander is throwing a welcome back party for Nicholas to draw out whoever wants him dead. Okay. Um, but then Nicholas gets, like, annoyingly protective of Annabelle. Mm-hmm. Apparently most vampires are never fed on a human who has willingly given their blood, and a whole bunch of the ones there would love to get a moment alone with her. So she's just kind of getting fed up with, like, not being unattended. And then she starts to think, okay, well, how much longer can I be away from my life? Because she's got all this shit she has to go back to at some point. Right, because she's supposed to be a professor. She's- no, no, she's only like 28. Yeah, I don't know. Does she teach at like community college? Maybe. That's weird. She's also working on her PhD, so I don't- No, that's too weird. I don't know how you do that and not work on it at all during this whole book. But she tells him that she's leaving in a few days, um, which she doesn't like, but he's like, hey, let's spend a few days fucking all over the palace. That sounds like fun. <laughs> I mean- I, I guess. <laughs> but she's reluctant to get closer to him because it'll just be harder to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, she says that and then something about how it's stupid to think they could fall in love in only a week, but her time is limited and he'll go on forever. And he says something stupid like, who said anything about love? <sighs> right. Yeah. He deserves to die alone. Yeah. So she tells him to leave and he does. And then they don't speak for like five days. See, they could have spent that time having sex all over the palace. They could have. And they didn't. Yeah. I don't know if he panicked or what, but it was shitty. But also, she's trying not to fall in love with him, so I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Just go home. Why are you waiting five days? Just go. Well, now she's hanging out with Evie. I, yeah, but give her your cell phone number. <laughs> like, you have a life, bitch. You didn't even call out of work. You just left. No, she arranged a whole story and family emergency and called in favors and... Well, she should still be going straight back home. She should. It's hard to get a job, you know? Yeah. Okay. Um, so Annabelle's been helping Evie, the vampire queen, uh, get ready for this ball or whatever. The 15-year-old vampire queen. Yeah. Sounds awful. <laughs> um, various important people are arriving to stay, so she's listening to see if anyone sounds like Mr. X. Um... Instead of coming up with a reason for having a mortal saying with them, they just don't explain it, and no one is rude enough to ask, so she just becomes really popular with the guests, and they try to suss out why she's there. I mean, okay. Yeah, if someone was there as a guest and not for eating, I'd be a little curious. Um, one night she's having sort of a, not a breakdown, but like a what the hell is going on in my life, and so she talks to Evie, who tells her not to live in fear of everything being a plot to control her. Because if she lives in, if she lives despite Charles, she's not really living. Okay. Um, the next night she gets caught watching Nicholas while he walks through the gardens by a female guest who informs her that he's been watching her too. Like, she thinks it's cute. Like, just some random fucking vampire who's there. Yeah. We didn't need that. We did not need that scene. Like some lady. She reveals that she's the former fiancé. Ugh. I guess she had seen his father's madness, and when he showed up half out of his mind, it scared her. But then when he escaped and didn't come back to kill her, she knew she'd made a mistake. Um, but she also says that he's more dangerous now than he ever was then, and to be careful. Uh, Annabelle then has a run-in with one of the guards. She wouldn't leave Nicholas 
alone within the dungeon, Marcus, who asks who is protecting her from Nicholas. She just feels very unsafe from everyone save Evie. I mean, she should get the fuck out. Yeah. This this does not read like a romance novel. This is a fucking psychological horror film. It's getting that way. Yeah, it's gotten that way. And uh, she decides she'll leave the day after the party. No, leave now. Which is like the next day. No, leave now. Right? Um, the next day is the day of the party, and she and Evie get ready together like it's prom. Mm-hmm. And then um, Frederick, a guard who is like a, an old friend of Nicholas's, uh, shows up to escort her. She thought Evie and Alexander were going to escort her, but apparently they had stuff to see to. Uh, they walk and talk, and the subject of Nicholas comes up. She insinuates that he only likes her, and Frederick informs her that Nicholas is head over heels, anyone can see it. At the party, Nicholas asked her to dance. Um, it's pretty great, and then she spoils it by telling him she's leaving the next day. But he already knew that. Well, he knew she was leaving soon, but he didn't know when exactly. Mm-hmm. He has to speak somewhere private and then leads her away to like far random room and shuts the door behind them. If someone's going to attack Alexander, they won't do it until Nicholas is out of sight. So he had to disappear for a while. Um, They end up fucking up against the door of the little room uh, and he gets permission to bite her. Uh, He has to come with her back to New York again while he's helping her on with her dress. And she realizes that she's in love with him and she can see that he cares for her. Um, she says that he should thank Frederick for talking him up earlier. And when he balks at her talking about him with Frederick, she's like, you're the one that was talking to him about my safety. Mm -hmm. Um, Frederick told Annabelle that Nicholas told him that she hadn't recognized Mr. X's voice since she got here. Nicholas said that he never told Frederick that. Mm. And the only reason he would say that to Annabelle would be to gauge her reaction to find out if he recognized if she recognized his voice. Oh, so Frederick is Mr. X. Yeah. Uh, they decide to split up because this is apparently Scooby-Doo now <laughs> and head to the ballroom two different ways. She takes off her heels and is running full tilt, which is how she doesn't see Frederick until she runs smack into him. She keeps herself calm so her heartbeat won't change. Her heart is already going fast because she's been running. Yeah. But she says that Nicholas bit her and she needs to see Evie and like she's acting upset. And he grabs her arms and tells her that he was listening to see how long the two of them would be busy. Vampire hearing and all. And she tells him that she sees him two-faced, a fucked up monster when no one is looking. And then he lets go of her and tells her she's free. Would a monster do that? And she says, no, but a monster would enjoy chasing me down. And he grins and then charges forward and stabs her in the stomach with a sword. Well, now she's collapsed on the floor, bleeding out. Okay. As he walks away. Um, and the footsteps come toward her, and the chapter ends. Not the book? No. Oh my god. <clears throat> okay. We are getting there. Okay. Um, Nicholas got to a small room Alexander and Evie were in with some guards and told them what he knew, and that Annabelle was in, a, in the ballroom looking for Evie. So they all rush out, and Frederick grabs Evie and broke her neck. Apparently, his favorite way to decapitate a vampire is to break their neck first so they don't fight back. So he turns her into a paraplegic. Well, she'll heal if given time. And vampire blood. Okay. Um, he tells Nicholas to kill Alexander, and if he does, Frederick will tell him where Annabelle is bleeding out. Uh, Nicholas grabs a sword and holds it to Alexander's neck, who says to do it, and then together they run at Frederick, and Alexander grabs Evie away from him as... Nicholas pushes the sword right through his heart. Hmm. Um, because they used to be military buddies. Uh, what does that have to do with him stabbing him? 
No, I mean, he and Alexander. Oh, Nikolai and Alexander were military buddies. Yeah. Okay. So they can still work together. Okay. Um, and he doesn't even stop to check on anything. He just drops the sword and runs. Um, he finds Evie, and she's, like, unresponsive and unable to drink his blood, and he carries her to her bed to clean her up because he's, like, grief-stricken, and Evie's like, dude, she's she's not gonna wake up. And he's like, she wouldn't want to be covered in blood. And she's like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, but then he and Evie can't find the wound, which means someone else already fed her their blood, and all they can do now is see if she survives the transition. Um, okay. And she does. And then when they ask her who fed her their blood, she says Marcus. Who? The guard that didn't like her. We only saw him for like once. I know. Okay. Um, she thought he was going to kill her, but he looked sort of sad and then held her as he drank his blood. And then I guess he just left her there in the hallway. That's so weird. Yeah. That was... Okay. Annabelle tells Nicholas that she loves him, and he says that when she was dead the night before, he went crazy and would probably still be lying in this bed with you for who knows how long before I had ever accepted that you were dead if she had died. <laughs> she says, is that your really creepy way of saying you love me too? Creepy. Emphasis on the creepy. Yeah. Later she runs into Marcus, and he's like, the last time a strong, beautiful woman got run through with a sword, I didn't get there in time. Um, it doesn't make us fucking friends. Um, she can't finish her classes this semester because they're during the day. And they agree that she needs to finish her dissertation and get her PhD. And they need to find something to tell her Aunt Abigail. But they'll cross all those bridges when they come to them. But right now they're going to spend the day in their bed. The end. <laughs> okay. Well, that took for fucking ever. It, it was a long book. How 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 many pages was yours? Uh, was it like real book length? Yeah, I think so. Mm. As opposed to mine, which was 160 pages and just every fucking thing happened. Yeah. And yours was extra long and every fucking thing happened. Yep. I don't want to read vampire books again. No. Everything happens. It's horrible. <laughs> okay, so... Uh... It was 303 pages. That should not have taken that long. No. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. Um, would you... Would, it, I'm assuming there's a sequel? Yeah, but it's not about them. It's about Marcus. That might be good. Would you read it? I'm enjoying the prologue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So then, out of five, what would you rate this? Um, like a two. Oh, no. Two and a half. Because between all the stupid shit she did and then all the stupid shit he did, it was really hard to root for either of them. There shouldn't be that many things happening. There shouldn't. That was, that was forever. Okay. It's a lot of things. Um, was there anything you liked about it? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not real clear on what they are right now. <laughs> it was funny sometimes. I mean, mine was funny sometimes, but only when I was high. <laughs> okay, mine was just funny sometimes. <laughs> and the sex scenes were good. Mine were not. Mm. They were bad. <laughs> I think I'm going to pick your next book. How about that? <laughs> I think you did pick this one. Um, I suggested you take the first one and I'll take the second one. Oh. And you said, yeah, the cover on the first one looks good. Oh. Sam. <laughs> 
I did not hear that correctly. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I guess we'll pick a theme on the on after this. <laughs> I think we need to. I think we need to take a break from vampires. That was awful. My head hurts. <laughs> <laughs> Why is there so much shit in vampire books? So many things. So many genres in one book. See, my book could have been two and yours could have been like half as long. Yes. All right. Um, (laughs) We'll pick another theme. (laughs) Not today. (laughs) Um, uh, This has been... A podcast about trashy romance novels. My name is Taja. And I'm Danielle. And you're listening to and then they fucked. fucked. Alright, um, wash your hands. Don't pick at your face. Don't lick door handles. Uh, like, comment, subscribe, and wash your mask. Yes, and wash your mask. Bye. Bye.